Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Drilled the center field and deep. Back on it is deep. To the track. To the wall. It's gone! Kevin Longoria with a two-run home run to straightaway center. And he gives the Rays a 6-4 lead here in the ninth. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Good afternoon. Welcome to our show. This week, we'll hear from Rays MVP Evan Longoria about one of his best seasons. We'll chat with Brian Anderson of Fox Sports Sun, Hal Bodley of MLB.com, and visit with many of the Rays minor league award winners. We continue on This Week in Rays Baseball, and our feature guest this week not only is the Rays team MVP, but the Paul C. Smith Community Champion Award, and that's Evan Longoria. Evan, congratulations on both honors. Well deserved. Thank you very much. I, uh, I very much appreciate it. I would assume that for you to win an award that has Don Zimmer's name attached to it, you probably appreciate it more than anyone else. I do, I do. Um, you know, this being the second time that I have won it, the first time was actually really cool because I think it was the first year that they had named the award in Don's uh, honor. And so, um, you know, to be able to take it home one time was uh, was great, and, and to, to have it for the second time um, it is no less special. What do you think he would say if he were still around about the year you've had? <laughs> I think he would be uh, he would be very satisfied. He was he was always um, tough on me though. Um, he was always uh, a guy, a mentor that um, would find ways to to um, give me uh, criticism in, in a good way. And um, I always enjoyed talking to him after games or before games, talking about the, the previous nights and you know what I could have done better and how I could have helped the team and. Uh, how everybody could have helped the team, and so um, I think he'd be happy with the season that I'm having. But but overall, he was he was a um, a team guy through and through, and so it was always important uh, that that we won, and we would never be happy if we if we didn't win. Why do you think you've had the year you've had, though? Um, I think that. Uh, Mentally, I'm in a really good place. I think um, mental, the, the mental side of the game uh, can, can never go unnoticed. I think it's very important um, uh, what we, how we work off the field, you know, how our family life is and how, um, you know, whatever we have going is, is in line in order to come to the ballpark with the right mentality. Um, for me, uh, it's been very good. You know, my family is, is very supportive of me. You know, they kind of... Uh, they help with everything and make it easy at home so I can come here and, and just do what I do. And I think um, the adjustments that I've made at the plate, um, widening out, you know, to be less specific, those those things, just making subtle adjustments at the plate have really helped me. But let's get back to the family aspect. I mean, look, you've been with Jamie for a while, but you did get married in the off season. Your kids are growing. They understand more. I mean, is this the best you've been in terms of a mental place um, in a while? Yes. Uh, last year was a was, uh, difficult um planning a wedding wedding is difficult uh and i didn't even do a whole lot so uh you know kudos to her and and i know that it was a busy year for her um uh, but for me it you know it weighed on me i i was nervous and excited and and you know you want it to go well for for her and and you want it to be a very special day and so a lot of that weighed on me especially at the end um and this year there's been you know much less stress obviously the stress of of playing well and wanting to win and um, you know those things that you have uh, naturally on on a daily basis, but um, everything else has been great uh, off the field. So I haven't had any of that to worry about. 
How about your kids, Ellen Nash? How much do they understand what Daddy does? Do they ask for home runs every now and then? How hard is that to oblige, and, and what do you say to them? You know what? Um, I My daughter has been she, – she, understand, she understands what a home run is now, and she understands uh, when I do it. And so she's actually – she actually wishes they – you know, they go to the um, – the sundial uh, over in downtown St. Pete, and there's a, a wishing well there. And so my wife has told me a couple times that she's thrown uh, pennies in there and and wished for home runs. And she's probably, I think she's like three for five this year. So I, I actually have felt, um, I, I feel great, obviously, being able to go home and, and tell her that, you know, daddy hit a home run. And, and uh, she knows what that is, and she's excited because she threw the penny in and, and got her wish. And obviously she's got a really good batting average, so hopefully she keeps that up. Yeah, definitely. You also mentioned some of the changes you made. I think in spring training we talked about the yoga you did. How much do you think that sort of stuff helped, as well as the weight training you did in season this year? I think just an overall uh, change in in, uh, philosophy. I started by doing um, some more strengthening stuff. Uh, The the idea behind that was to keep weight on throughout the the whole season and it's been uh it's been pretty good i've i've uh i think i've lost maybe two pounds three pounds uh, versus last year and in previous years i might have lost 10 pounds uh you know from spring training to the end of the season and so um kind of just a renewed focus on trying to get in the weight room um, you know once every five days at least just to, to move some weight around um trying to drink more protein shakes because it's it's tough to eat you know when we got a lot going on it's tough to sit down and eat a full meal and um so just trying to mix in some way to get some nutrition in uh, all the way through the day to keep that weight on do you look at what you did and basically say as you look forward and i know we still have some games left but i need to replicate this or this was the work the right formula or are there even things you say okay i want to tweak this i i think that there's not really a an answer for that right now um, every year at the end of the year, there's a, a period of time where you assess how the year has gone and, and, um, th- things that you could have done better and things that uh, need to change. And, um, and so for me, I, uh, I usually wait about a month and, and kind of analyze, you know, what, what helped my body, what helped my mind, um, and what helped my performance. And then, take all of those things and and bunch that into an off-season program um and then the stuff that i feel like didn't you know you you throw that out and and go to the drawing board to add some more and so um you know last year was a big change in terms of what i did uh, in the off-season to to this past off-season so it'll be pretty similar i'm sure um with um some some different things mixed in how about howard falco because you've mentioned him i know chris archer brought him in how much did his thought or what he brought up from a thought standpoint help you um tremendously um his uh his big message is is really just believing that there's uh you know infinite possibility and that you know one uh one moment um whether it be a pitch or uh, one at bat or you know one day uh isn't indicative of of what the next one could hold you know your your past performance doesn't uh dictate what your future performance is going to be and i mean obviously you listen to that and it makes sense but uh you know we're we're very mental creatures as athletes and so uh sometimes when you hear that from somebody else and you hear it in a new light it kind of clicks and so for me that's one of the things that has uh kind of been a resounding message in my own mind is not to try and take the failures um 
from whether it's you know the previous at bat or the previous day into the next one, um, and just keep trying to, to move forward and believing that um, you know the the personal possibilities are, are endless. Is that part of the reason too? You had that willingness, let's say, to make a slight adjustment in your stance and open up a little bit more and have the success you did really from the Seattle game against Felix Hernandez on. Yeah, I, I think. Um, it, more probably more subconsciously um, on that level, but I wasn't scared to make that change. And I think that um, that Howard's message is is uh, is is one of importance. And I think that um, it, it helped me to to not be uh, scared to make to make those changes. Um, and uh, obviously, success is is the uh, is the promoter of all things good. And and uh, usually, if you have success, you're you're more accepting of making changes. So it was pretty easy. And as good as the personal and, let's say, uh, success on the field and off the field has been for you, I know how much you would trade some of that to get more wins. Have you been able to grasp why you think things haven't clicked on the field this year and maybe what is missing that needs to be in place for next year? Well, the simple answer is we make too many mistakes. Um, you know, as a group, uh, whether it be uh, you know, pitching mistakes, um, catching mistakes, base running mistakes, um, uh, errors defensively, uh, those things uh, have have come up this year, and uh, and a lot of times in times where we don't need them to come up, um, you know, uh, critical moments of the games, uh, critical plays that um, ultimately have have change the course of, of games where we've been in um, and we make a mistake and, and then we're suddenly not in the game anymore and so um, eliminating those mistakes um, I think is is probably uh, you know side by side with being healthy um, I think some of those mistakes are, are mistakes that um, I don't know that uh, you know you can point the finger at one person because we asked a lot of guys this year to do some things that they weren't comfortable doing, um, and that's very tough to do at the major league level. It's it's tough to make adjustments and and be the best player you can be when you're playing a new position, pitching in a different inning, um, you know, hitting in a different lineup spot, some somewhere where you're not used to. Um, it's 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 tough to compete at a high level when you know what you're doing, and when you don't, it's even tougher. So, uh, some of those things I think will uh, you know they're already addressing now, and and we'll address into the off season. And um, I have full confidence that uh, next year in spring training we will um, get all that sorted out and and uh, go into the year uh, looking very positive. Because I know from your standpoint, I mean your your career is finite in terms of how long it can be, and I you look at a guy like David Ortiz who's leaving the game now and i'm sure you're thinking hey i want to be able to do what he's done in terms of the championship level uh yes it, it's it's tough i mean he's um uh, been in a, in a very fortunate spot to um to, to play on some great teams i mean it takes a team to win you know not i mean david ortiz is is a, a hall of famer you know but uh, he alone can't win a championship and that's the unique thing about baseball is um you know it's it's going to take 30 to 35 guys to win a championship every year and uh, if you don't have those pieces in place if you're not deep enough uh, if you don't have everybody buying in uh, you're not going to end up where you where you need to end up and so um, you know he's a great leader I know Dustin Pedroia over there is a great leader as well and um, and those guys along with you know a bunch of other great pieces make championship teams and so um, I know that here that we've been trying to do that um, more consciously so I think over this past you know four months uh, than than we ever have, and so uh, that's a very important point going into the off season is getting those players, those good baseball minds, back onto the team and, and on the field, and um, in spring training, addressing those mistakes and, and trying to be better. 
Are you going to miss competing against him at all? Yes and no. Uh, I'll miss competing against him uh, because he's fun to watch, and and you know he's a, a a big he has a big character, and and um, you know he's kind of this larger than life guy. But I, I won't miss you know all the big home runs and all the big hits and um, the big moments that he's uh, he's put together against us that uh, that ultimately have cost us wins. I've seen on your Twitter account your fantasy team. Is his fantasy team any good? Are you playing the same league or 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 and and how's your competition going with the whole Darius Rucker thing? Uh, are, you, are you talking about Ortiz? Yeah, does he have a fantasy club at all? Or I, I don't know. Maybe he does. I know that they do have a, a fantasy league over there on their side. Um, I've never competed against him. Mine's doing okay. And, uh, yeah, I play in an in a ESPN celebrity league that's actually uh, – I, I con- compared to the people that are in the league, I don't even consider myself a celebrity. There's some pretty big names. I mean, Darius Rucker and Chelsea Handler, Zach Efron, Miles Teller. So, so there's, like, some really, really big names. Um, and uh, and I actually feel like I'm going to win the league already. So uh, it's it's a pretty good feeling. My team's really good, and um, it's it's for bragging rights only. And uh, actually, Kevin Durant won it last year, so I'm trying to take the title from him. That'd be a pretty good title to win. But I hope it's not too long from now that we're talking about other kinds of titles for you and the Rays baseball team. And congratulations on the great success and a terrific off season ahead. Thank you very much. That's Evan Longoria joining us in this week in Rays baseball. We continue right after this on the Race Baseball Network. Welcome back to This Week in Race Baseball. I'm Neil Solans. Joining us now for a few minutes from Fox Sports Sun, Brian Anderson. B.A., thanks for being with us. Neil, uh, once again, it's a pleasure. So I'm, I'm beginning to feel like a regular. You are. You are. And we, <laughs> well, I'm happy we just, about that. We had Evan Longoria moments ago on the program, so I'm curious from your standpoint, what has stood out to you watching him over the course of this year? Well, there's been a couple of things. Um, when you just watch him, the eye test, he looks stronger. You know, I, I think that his body has changed from, from last year uh, coming into this year. He, he just looks stronger, more stout. I think that was by design. Um, mm-hmm. that he wanted to get a little bit stronger. So that's what stands out, number one. Number two, when you would see in the past when Evan would go into a little bit of a slide and, and have, uh, you know, go into a, a slump or, or have a little bit of a downtime, he would expand the strike zone. You would see him start to expand that zone, chasing pitches that are away from him um, and, you know, lazy fly balls out into right field. He has kept those moments very, very short this season. He has kept strike zone discipline. He has not expanded his strike zone very much. He's stronger. Um, he's he's crushing mistakes. Pitchers leave mistakes out over the plate. He's taking full advantage, not expanding his strike zone. And I'll tell you something else that he's doing, and this is more of a statistic. You go back and look at his ground ball percentage over his career. It's about 38%. The last two seasons, it's been almost 40% ground ball rate. And if you look back in 14, it was 22 homers, I believe. Uh, 2015, Mm -hmm. 21 home runs. This year, a career-low ground ball rate, about 32.5%. So he's getting more balls airborne. More balls airborne, stronger, not expanding the strike zone. Guess what? Leads to more home runs, more production. You know, look at his doubles and and uh, you know and the, and the home runs combined. And so the, that statistic tells a story. And then you just the eye test. You know, thicker, stronger, not expanding his strike zone, and that's why he's having the year that he's having. Very good numbers there from Brian Anderson again of Fox Sports Sun, and a guy who you know his numbers aren't going to wow you, especially after the last start he had is Alex Cobb. But as we try and look forward to 2017, BA, 
how important is Alex and what value do you think he's going to bring not only individually but as a leader? Well, I, I think that Alex Cobb coming back is, is one of the best things that, that has happened to this team in, in the last couple of years. And I think that, number one, we know what he's capable of, uh, of on the mound. And he had a rough start his last time out. It's his fourth start coming back from almost two years removed from Tommy John surgery so or, or being on a big league mound. And, and that's understandable. You're going to have those nights. But... We know when he is healthy, what he's capable of doing with the fastball. That the curveball, I think, has uh, the potential to be a better pitch for him than it maybe it was pre-surgery. Instead of it being more of a get-me-over-a-strike pitch, it can actually become a put-you-away type weapon to go along with that split changeup. Now, that being said, he's going to do good things for the Rays out on the mound, but the example that he sets as a leader now that is what you call a true leader on the mound set the example for the young pitchers um, the way that he carries himself um, always a professional always um, holding himself to a very high standard he's very accountable Um, you're not going to hear him make excuses Uh, he's just a guy that um, if you're a young pitcher you know coming into this organization or even a young pitcher here already that's a guy you look at and say, you know what, I want to pattern my game after him because that is how you go out and do it. You earn the respect of your teammates. You earn the respect of the opposition. You handle your business properly, and you're accountable. And that's Alex Cobb in a nutshell. And speaking of that, I don't think it's an accident that Blake Snell's locker was put next to Alex Cobb's. Blake had, I think, an important start for him his last time out, the five shutout innings against the Yankees. How important do you think it was for him going into his offseason with one more to go? Well, as far as the locker uh, situation goes, that stuff, Neil, and you know as well as I do, that that stuff is all by design. So you're right. There is absolutely no coincidence to putting Blake Stell next to Alex Cobb. To Blake Snell on the mound, I thought it was very, very important because, you know, Blake's first 10 starts, he had put together some pretty good numbers, and we saw some really good things from him. His last seven going into the, that uh, that last start against the Yankees, he was averaging just over three and two-thirds innings a start. He had seven starts, 26 and a third innings. And, you know, there were some rough outings in there, uh, you know, balls uh, not able to find the strike zone consistently. And, um, you know, it just – you did – not want to see him head in that direction heading into the offseason and I was so encouraged by that last start against the Yankees because remember how it started base hit Mm -hmm. base hit and so now all of a sudden you're in immediate trouble Gary Sanchez coming to the plate he's been all everything the last you know couple of months and you know you're you're saying to yourself is the here we go again gonna come into Blake's mind and guess what he knuckled down, he made big pitches, he got out of that inning, and while it wasn't the cleanest and the prettiest of outings, he made pitches when he needed to, and he kept that team off the board for for five innings, and uh, I thought that that was huge for his confidence, especially that first inning. Like I said, the way that it started, Gardner Ellsbury, base hit, base hit, immediate trouble, he gets out of it, and now I think he's going to have one more start before the end. You'd like to see him have another good, clean outing. Doesn't have to be a perfect outing, but another nice outing, trending uh, like he did this last start. Two good starts to finish the season, um, and then you go into the offseason feeling a lot better about yourself and, and, you know, excited to get ready for for next year because i'll tell you blake snell's the type of guy with four pitches fastball curveball change up slider 
that if he can consistently find the strike zone, and it's not even throwing strikes, but it's command of the zone and then able to expand it because he's pitching out in front, he has a chance to be really, really special. Certainly agree, and hopefully that's a big part of next year's Rays Ball Club going forward. B.A., thanks for a few minutes. Uh, we appreciate you coming on so many times this year, and enjoy your off season. Neil, I love it. I appreciate it, buddy. Again, that's Brian Anderson of Fox Sports Sun. Before we continue, let's pause for station identification on the Rays Baseball Network. This is Tampa Bay Sports Radio. This one's on its way. Thank God! 620 WDAE St. Petersburg and 95.3 FM, home of the Rays. Neil Solon's with you on this week in Rays Baseball. We turn our attention to the minor league side. Since yesterday, the Rays honored their top minor league players. The player of the year in the system, Casey Gillespie, the Rays' 2014 first-round pick, jumped to double-A this year and then finished with triple-A Durham. He led the Rays' minor league system in homers and OPS, and to win the award, Gillespie was certainly appreciative. It's just a, a really big achievement, and I feel honored that the Rays selected me to have this award. Um, obviously, you play a full season, and... You know, there's a lot of ups and downs, but to be rewarded at the end of it is, uh, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm very honored that the race selected me. It obviously means you've had a terrific year, too. So what do you think led to the success and the best year you've had so far in the race system? I don't think there's one specific thing that I could point my finger on, but I think just a mixture of um, a lot of different things as far as maturity-wise, not only physically but mentally, another season under my belt that really helped me you know, progress into having a good year this year. I got to see you in the Arizona Fall League last year. How much do you think that helped, or at least helped give you an idea of what was to come playing a double and then triple A this year? I mean, going there was probably the best thing that has happened to me in my career up to this point. I kind of went there, and I felt a little overwhelmed, and I struggled most of the time there. And um, going into the offseason, I was able to take those experiences that – helped me grow and you know really start to lock in on what I needed to do to get better and how I needed to do that. So what were some of the things because I saw you in the in the fall league and then I saw you at the start of spring training and it looked like you transformed your body a little bit. Yeah I mean like I said earlier physically um, I did my best workouts in the off season and tried to get me ready for spring training but more importantly it was more of the mental side of the game and not letting one day, one bad day transitioned into four bad games. You know, I was able to have a bad game and kind of get over it and get ready for the next day because that's one important thing in baseball. you got to be able to get over your bad games and not let them keep growing into bad weeks. Is that the biggest area you think you improved? And where, what other areas do you think you grew as a baseball player this year? Yeah, that was definitely the bigger one. Um, also, I, I was able to compete consistently every day because of that mindset that I was able to you know control the things that I can control with my attitude and coming to the park every day and working hard and those were the things that really helped me you went also from double a really without playing high a I mean you were hurt a fair amount and didn't get a lot of high a at bats and then you went from double to triple so tell me what the difference was in terms of levels that you saw as a player um Definitely as from a hitting standpoint, I think just the pitchers were more consistent. Um, they weren't making multiple mistakes in that bat. And I think I had to learn when I first got up to AAA that if I were to foul a pitch off, I probably wasn't going to get another pitch to hit. And so I think that was the biggest difference between AA and AAA was the guys are a little older, a little more experienced. 
they're not going to make as many mistakes, and you really have to capitalize them when they do that. We talked about your hitting, but how about the defensive side? Because I know that was an area that you ha- had a great reputation for coming into the race system. Yeah, defensively, um, I continue to try to work every day just as much on my defense as my offense because that's an important part of the game. I don't want to just be a one-sided player. I wanted to be a defensive player as well as an offensive player. So that was a part of my game that I continued to try and get better at throughout the season and, like I said, work just as hard on my defense as my offense. You mentioned mentioned the mental side of the game and how much stronger that is this year. How much is it also about being in a good place mentally from an off-the-field standpoint? Congratulations, you're getting married, I know, in this offseason. Does that kind of help, kind of being settled a bit? Yeah, I think anybody that will tell you if they have a good um, home foundation that after the day's over you can go back to something that's off the field that will kind of get you ready for the next day. I mean, obviously getting married is pretty exciting for me and looking forward to that. So that helped me out a lot this year, just having that foundation of not just being a baseball player, but also, you know, having to be a husband someday. And I was, you know, it was a really good thing for me. And obviously the results show that on the field. Is it motivating to be out here now at a major league field, having won the minor league player of the year and being so close to the big leagues now? I mean, you got to the AAA level, so you're a step away. Yeah, I mean, being here and being in the stadium, you know, hopefully someday I can, you know, reach it permanently. But um, like I said, I try and control the things that I can control, and I can control how hard I work this offseason and how well I'm prepared going into spring training. What are the things you want to do now? You you learned a lot this year. You got bigger. You got stronger. You you got to see a higher level. Where do you want to grow next year? Continue to get better. Um, all our coordinators constantly preach on, you know, it's a process and to trust that process. But, you know, for me personally, I want to continue to get stronger, be more consistent. I think that's such a, a big word in baseball because it's so important being a consistent player and continue to have healthy seasons and, um, be a reliable guy to play every day. And that is Rays minor league player of the year, Casey Gillespie. Now the pitcher of the year was Brent Honeywell, who split time between high A Charlotte and double A Montgomery. And I asked Honeywell if he was at all surprised to win. I mean, you're always surprised when something, you know, you know that kind of award or something like that. I mean, that's, that just shows what, you know, what, what they think about, what your organization thinks about you. I mean, it's a, it's a big... It's a big award. I mean, in my opinion, that's what I strive for all year to be one of the, the best pitchers we got. Um, I, and I want to be one of the best pitchers we got. So, um, I mean, it wasn't – It this year it was, a, it was a lot of fun. You know, I missed that time. And that's the only problem that – you know, it's the only thing I look back on this year was, you know, what could happen if I didn't miss the time. I was going to ask you that because maybe the reason I said surprised is because you missed six weeks or so. And – that said, to say that you still won the minor league pitcher of the year, I think probably says something about the year you had. Right. Um, that was a that was a tough time. That was a tough time. I, didn't, I was not happy with with being out like that. You know, I, especially for from from my for my guys that I'm playing with. I mean, the group of guys that I had in Port Charlotte, the group of guys we had, and it's it, it's. So, I mean, you're, you're leaving your team out there, and, and I mean, you know, in, injuries do occur. Injuries happen, but. Um, you know, this this year I just tried to bounce back as quickly as possible from that where I left off when that happened. What did you learn during that stretch about yourself, and how difficult was it to be patient? Uh, that was tough. You know, there were there were a lot of questions that I had, and you know, it was you know why why this has to happen. You know, I don't 
you know, can I go now? You know, it's, it's almost like that. Can can you cut me loose now? But uh, all in all, they're they're looking out for the best, you know, in me and and themselves. Uh, that's their job. It's not mine. You know. So um, it was. This year was a lot of fun. Where do you think you grew as a pitcher this year? Uh, probably just being. You know, I talk about it with Bosman, Dick Bosman, all the time. Just being comfortable with guys on base, um, being able to throw the fastball late in the count, being able to locate it late in the count. Um, you know, and don't don't go to your my off-speed stuff too early. You know, that was one big thing that I really recognized in in AA. You know, if you those guys start eliminating a couple pitches and it's okay, well, you know, this comes, you know, he's thrown this, he's thrown that, he's thrown that. Well, you know, sometimes a good late fastball is is a big part of baseball, and I figured that out. Where do you think you can grow the most still? Uh, that is a I – mean, I don't – I don't – I'm not I'm not a good judge on that. I'm not a good judge on that. Uh, I can always grow, though. Um, still pitching to contact, getting deeper in ball games. Uh, stuff of that nature, you know. Cut, still cutting down on the walks. Still cutting down on the walks. Casey Gillespie said that he learned a lot out of the Arizona Fall League experience, partially because you missed six weeks due to injury. You're going to get to go to the Fall League. So, what are you looking forward to about that experience yourself? Uh, I'm looking to face competition again. Uh, the off season to me is boring. <laughs> you know, we don't really know what to do with ourselves, but. Uh, I'm I'm excited to go out there and face, you know, different different hitters that I don't think I faced. So, um, you know, lots of different teams. You had a, a pretty good staff in Double A and in High A too. How much did that starting rotation of you and Chi Wei Hu and uh, Chris Kirsch, Taylor Guerrero? I mean, how much did you guys push one another, and how much do you think you helped one another? I think that's one of the biggest things we did towards. I saw it even more towards the back end of the year. Uh, Chris Kirsch turned into Cy Young, first off. Um, Guerrero just, he did what he had to do. You know, he he did his job. He picked up his weight. Kirsch picked up his weight. She picked up his weight. I picked up my weight. And then we had, we had Witt there for a little bit. That And that was good for us to, you know, he, he was, he taught us a lot of things down there. And just, you know, spoke with us a lot. But it was, it was very good. Who else did we have down there? Who's the fifth guy? I'm confused. I'm missing think wooden Chirinos was there i mean um but i mean those guys it was it was a it was a constant competition a constant battle to see you know who could produce that much in one week so it was it was fun to watch you mentioned chase whitley how did he help having a, a guy who was a big leader coming back from surgery what did you learn from him uh chase was he was a great guy to talk to he was a great guy to talk to you know he he taught me the importance of or he emphasized it more to me whenever I got to Double A that the late fastball is gonna is set sets up a lot of things, you know, and throwing into guys. I love to throw into guys, and he he says you don't I mean you don't really understand how big throwing into guys is, and um he you know he's got he's got really good stuff. I mean, I watched him last night, and it was fun to watch. Uh, but no, he he's helped. And he was he stayed on me pretty good. Stayed on me pretty good, so um, it was it was good to have him around. Well, good to have you around. Congrats on the award, and hopefully at some point we're seeing you on the mound here at the ballpark. 
I appreciate it. Me too. That's what I'm hoping for. And that is the Rays' Brent Honeywell, the organization's minor league pitcher of the year. He'll spend next month in the Arizona Fall League. Coming up, the Rays' minor league defensive player of the year and base runner of the year, plus Hal Bodley, after this on the Rays Baseball Network. Back on This Week in Rays Baseball, Neil Solon's with you. You heard from the Rays' minor league player of the year and pitcher of the year. Well, catching has certainly been an area the Rays have been trying to solve. And catcher Nick Schufo, the Rays' 2013 first-round pick, was this year's minor league defensive player of the year. It's definitely an honor especially with the catchers and, and all the other position players that we have in this organization. It's a real honor. And I think we talked about it earlier this offseason um, or last offseason about how important defense was to me in this organization. So to be able to start seeing some of the benefits from the work I put in and the work that me and Paul Hoover have put in the past four years is, is really awesome. It is especially impressive in an organization that prides itself so much in defense to be the defensive player of the year. And why do you think you've improved so much on the defensive end? I think it's just it's all starting to kind of come together. I'm starting to figure out what I can and can't do as far as throwing and receiving and blocking. And and I'm starting to learn from all the experience that I've had in the past three and a half years or four years, whatever it is. So. You know, I just I was really excited to start, especially with the throwing, to start to see the throwing really come along with the accuracy because I've always been able to throw, but the accuracy wasn't always there at the beginning of the year. And this year, from day one, I was throwing the ball well on the bag. I mean, you threw 60% of runners out trying to steal. That's a pretty awesome number. Yeah, I, I honestly think I could have thrown out more too because there was there's three or four that I can think of in my head right now that I, I would have had guys thrown out by 10 steps and didn't get a grip or try to be too quick or too perfect or whatever whatever it was, just didn't make a good throw. That said, though, was it frustrating, though, this year because you did miss time with a foul tip off the finger, similar to what happened in Australia, right? Yeah, it's real frustrating, especially when it happens twice in, in kind of one calendar year because all the at-bats I missed. And for the first time in my career, before I got hurt, I really, really, really felt comfortable at the plate. And... I was using the left center gap really well, and then when I came back, I just never really got back into that, that groove that I was in before I got hurt. How beneficial, then, do you think it will be to go to the Arizona Fall League and test yourself there? I, I think it'll be a lot of fun. I mean, there's there's really good competition out there, so that's that's going to be fun. Um, but, I mean, anytime you get more at-bats is always a good thing. What do you hope to learn out of an experience like that? You learned, obviously, a lot in Australia. Yeah, I mean... I think that helped a lot defensively, too, is being out in Australia and learning from different older pitchers and stuff like that and kind of how to handle a staff. And I think going out there, uh, Arizona, there's going to be a lot of different guys that I've never caught before, and I'm going to have to learn kind of on the fly what they like to throw, how they like to pitch and all that. So it's going to be a good experience. And I would think the level of hitter you see also is going to be much better, so you've got to learn different ways to attack. Yeah, I mean, everybody that's out there is, is a dude or is a prospect or whatever. There's something they can do, right, and a lot of them are there because they can hit. So it's going to be a lot of fun. As you look toward next year, where is the area you want to grow the most? I want to drive in more guys, whether it's by hitting doubles or not being so aggressive with a runner on second and an open uh, open base. Just really just figuring out how to get those guys in and the easy RBI situations when they're just being given to me with you know, a runner on third and less than two outs and the infield's back. How to just find a way to just hit a ground ball to the right side and get the guy in. And is that more mental or physical, do you think? I think it's I think it's more mental. I think for me, I get over-aggressive in those situations, and I'll end up swinging at change-ups down or whatever, and just really just the next step for me is getting a good pitch to hit, and when I do get it, not over-swinging and not trying to do too much. 
beyond that is the other big thing for you trying to I mean you've been unlucky with injuries but just staying on the field overall yeah I mean I felt pretty good up until this year really I've never had anything and then this year was two broken fingers so if there's an injury to have it's it's two broken fingers not you know a hamstring or or whatever it is at least one now that they're both healed and you know Dr. Carlin took great care of me on both of those so I got to thank him and his staff a lot for that they did the surgery on my pinky and everything went great, so you know they've all healed fine. So I shouldn't have any anything to worry about after this. And that is Nick Shufo, the Rays minor league defensive player of the year. Now the base runner of the year was just drafted this season. Jake Fraley of LSU was the team's second round pick, and he stole 33 bases to lead the New York Penn League. And Fraley was happy to be honored for his first professional work. Yeah, I mean it's a blessing, of course. Um, you know, <clears throat> coming into you know, my first professional season, um, you know, going through all the things that I went through, through, you know, LSU and then the draft and then, you know, everything's, you know, a little bit of a whirlwind. So, you know, the opportunity and uh, that the Rays have given me to be able to come out here and continue my dream, um, but also to come out here and, and in the first season to be able to put together a little bit of success. And you know, like I said, it's a blessing. What was the whole experience like from draft day to getting signed to getting on the field, and how fatigued were you after all of it was over because you had just gone through a, a pretty lengthy college season? Yeah, it was it was long for sure. It was definitely long. Um, you know, going through a, a very long LSU season, um, a tough one in that. Um, you know, me knowing that it was going to be my last one, and then, you know, going out the way we did, you know, coming close to Omaha and um, but, you know, and, and then coming and, like I said, having the opportunity to be able to come in and play, you know, my first professional season, professional season, uh, you know, it was, like I said, very long, very tiring. But um, in the same breath, it was exciting. It was fun. I learned a lot. Um, and I was able to, you know, get a uh, you know, good amount of games and a bats underneath my belt for that first uh, season. So what did you learn? Uh, you know, I, I learned that it's very different from college. Um, you know, the mindset, um, you know, how fast the pace of the game um, you know, how just everything works in general, um, you know, from off-the-field stuff to on-the-field stuff. How much, though, do you think that LSU career helped prepare you for the professional game, just in terms of the competition and the things you faced? It's prepared me better than I think I could be prepared for, uh, you, know, this, <clears throat> you know, this next step in my career. From, you know, what we're doing now with the media side of it, you know, having, you know, the blessing to be able to have that much media coverage at LSU has, you know, really prepared me for, you know, continuing on with my career. But as well as, you know, the baseball side of it with, you know, the, the competition and the competitiveness that goes, you know, with going to a big school like LSU with the SEC competition and, you know, being able to come over here to professional ball. Um, you know, it is different, um, but it does have a lot of similarities that have prepared me that I've been able to, you know, get used to for the last three years that I've been able to carry. And like I said, I've learned a lot this first year and it's going to be a lot more than I'm going to learn, you know, continuing on. You wore a number that is pretty important in LSU lore. That's number eight. What did it mean to wear that, and, and what was the pride level in carrying that? It's an absolute blessing. Um, you know, it, it's something that's, uh, you know, held very high at LSU. Um, yeah, a lot of great players. Mikey Matsuk, you know, one of the own for Tampa Bay, wore it. So, you know, it, it's a lot of honor, um, a lot of respect that goes along with wearing that number. Uh, on and off the field, you know, the way you carry yourself off the field, but, uh, you know, as well as, you know, how hard you play on the field and, and, you know, what you bring to the table every single day. So you won the Base Runner of the Year award in this organization. So what, in your mind, makes a good base runner? Uh, a lot of practice, uh, a lot of getting thrown out, <laughs> um, just, you know, a lot of learning. Uh, like I said, you, you you have God-given, you know, talent with speed and stuff. You can only work at that so much. So, you know, just listening to the guys, um, you know, in the organization that have gone through their experiences, 
um, you know, listen to uh, Skeet, our outfield coordinator, who also does a lot of base running, that, you know, is able to come in and, and teach us and show us through his experiences um, that allows us to be able to take little things from him and little things from, you know, other guys throughout the organization that I can use for myself. Next year will be your first full year as a professional. How do you think you're going to prepare your body for the rigors of a 140-game schedule now having kind of gone through it in kind of a split-season form? Um, definitely pace myself. I'm not going to jump on the gun, you know, once I get, you know, after these instructs are done, you know, not jumping at, you know, working out and hitting right away, you know, allowing my body to be able to have that healing process. And then um, it's been a long year, you know, going from, you know, 72 games at LSU and then another, you know, how many ever I did here, 60, 70 here um, with Hudson Valley. So, you know, just the whole process of just understanding, you know, uh, what pace I need to do things. Um, but also the nutrition side of it, that's a huge side of it. Um, understanding, you know, what I need to do to, you know, fuel my body um, to make sure that I'm ready, you know, once I get into this full pro se- for first full season, you know, I'm able to play through the beginning to the end. It helps to be in a good place on and off the field, and congratulations. I hear things are going well off the field. You got engaged. Yes, yeah, it, uh, another blessing, a huge blessing. Uh, you know, the Lord has blessed me with uh, an unbelievable um, you know, woman that I'm going to get to spend the rest of my life with, and I really appreciate that. How much do you think having things settled, though, off the field help you in terms of coming to the field on a daily basis? It is uh, unbelievable. Um, you know, it, it, no matter what happens on the field, you know, whether it's a you know bad day, good day, um, the worst day that I've had to my career, you know, thus far, to be able to come home to, um, you know, and to be able to come back to, you know, a house that has, you know, the woman that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with that the Lord has blessed me with is unbelievable. It allows me to relax more on the field. Um, it allows me to get my mind away from the game when I'm off the field. And that is one Jake Fraley, the Rays base runner in the year at the minor league level. Congrats to him and his fiance Angelica on getting engaged this past month. He's one of about 50 players in the Rays minor league system who are down in Instructional League, which is kind of that final segment of the Rays minor league season. Uh, we were going to be joined and hope to be joined momentarily by one Hal Bodley of MLB.com. Um, and uh, we'll do that hopefully in a little bit. I want to remind you that the Roberto Clemente Award is awarded to a nominee from each major league club who best represents the game of baseball through extraordinary character, community involvement, philanthropy, and positive contributions the race nominee, of course, is yesterday's starting pitcher in Chris Archer, and uh, you can vote for him on social media to win. Use hashtag VoteArcher on Twitter and Facebook to vote for him now. And we now turn our attention to the Major League side, and joining us is the Dean of MLB Writers. That's from MLB.com, Hal Bodley. Hal, thanks very much for being with us. Hi, Neil. How are you? Good. Uh, I want to start with what happened in Los Angeles yesterday, this celebration, which really has been going on all year for Vince Scully, you have come across him many times and have worked with him. So I wanted to know some personal anecdotes that really are going to stick with you about a guy who's so beloved in this game. I started covering baseball back in 1958, made a lot of trips to Dodger Stadium, got to know Vinny very, very well, uh, and taught me a lot about how to prepare for the game, how to look at what was going to happen, look at the game on the field, little nuances that you that you pick up as you watch the game. We spent a lot of time together talking about that. Uh, and then I went for CBS. I went and worked for CBS, the game of the week in New York, for about six years. And when we did the World Series, uh, Vin Scully was uh, the play-by-play voice of the World Series for CBS. And we spent a lot of time in preparing for the broadcast and, and talking about it. And he, he was so intricate. The one thing, however, that I bring back to, to this is that uh, we used to always go on the field and wander around the batting cage and shake hands with everybody. And he would ask me, he said, Hal, 
Why are you doing that? Have you ever, ever gotten a big story by going on the field prior to a World Series game? And I said, no. He said, well, that's why I don't ever do it. Another time we were talking about the great, the late, Walter Winchell. And a book had been written about him. And I said, I'm very, very interested in journalism and Walter Winchell. And the next morning in the hotel, I had a knock on the door, and the bellman brought me a copy of the Walter Winchell book. Vin had gone out and purchased it for me. Uh, he's a wonderful person. He's got a great legacy, and I couldn't be happy. You're happier for him. He's certainly going to be missed. I, I don't think there's any question about it. I would say from a race perspective in most teams in the American League East, David Ortiz may not be missed as much. I know he's so beloved by Boston fans. Did you get a listen to uh, his, his final news conference here? Uh, before the game today, and what did you take away? We stood down in the dugout and talked to the big poppy. Uh, he was delightful. I mean, he had a sparkle in his eye and talked about uh, how much he likes to bring back to the game for the fans and, and how good they have been to him. Uh, I asked him what he's going to miss most about the game, and it wasn't about the home runs or winning the World Series, that type of thing. He said basically he's going to miss the clubhouse action, being with the, the players, with his teammates, the camaraderie, that exists in the clubhouse but uh, he's going to miss that he says but i'll tell you what he's going to be missed too yes by the boston red sox who right now (laughs) are one of you know three teams that in the american league the division winners are pretty much determined going into this final uh, week of the season but the wild card is very much up in the air especially after detroit just blew a 5-2 lead in the ninth inning against kansas city now baltimore is back into a virtual tie with them for the second wild card, what's your take on what's going to happen this final week between those three teams, Toronto, Detroit, and Baltimore? Well, you know, I think you and I talked about this, Neil, prior to the season. I thought on paper that Toronto, the Blue Jays, were the best team in the division. But obviously they struggled from time to time. They've had good streaks and then they've fallen back. I still think that they will get a wild card. I believe the Blue Jays will get a wild card. And I know Buck Showalter so well. He's such a genius as a manager of the Orioles. I just have a feeling he's going to be able to, you know, pull the right buttons or push the right buttons, I should say, and get the Orioles there. So my choice right now would be Toronto and Baltimore. What do you feel on the National League side? Because right now, again, you got the Mets, the Giants, the Cardinals. doesn't seem any of those teams want to take hold of the wild card. No, not at all. I, I believe that the Mets, considering what they've done with all the injuries, uh, manager Terry Collins has done a masterful job. Uh, who would have thought that they could overcome all the problems they've had this year? Right now they're leading that wild card race uh, as the number one wild card team. Uh, I suspect that the Mets are going to be that wild card team. And then it's going to be St. Louis or San Francisco. The Giants, uh, they go up and down. It's like a roller coaster season for them. Uh, They could get hot at the end. Uh, uh, You know, it just seems like that this is the team that probably could do it. St. Louis has been playing with injuries also. But I would like the Giants and the Mets. But then, hey, that wild card winner is going to have to face the Cubs, and that's not going to be easy. No, not at all. If there is a team in the National League that has the best chance to beat the Cubs in the playoffs, which is the team that you think has that? Dusty Baker and the Washington Nationals. Dusty Baker is a great manager. This team has probably not played up to its potential, although it's leading the division by seven and a half games, and there's so much to celebrate in Washington. I believe that the Washington Nationals have a lot to prove. It was a dysfunctional team last year. He's brought the young players and the older players together. Uh, They're on their way to to a great season, and I think this could be the surprise team. But, you know, the one thing that everybody talks about, Neil, and I've talked to a lot of people about this, 
Uh, you know, the Cubs have clinched. The Cubs have the best record in baseball. And if they don't go to the World Series and win the World Series, there's going to be so <laughs> such a disappointment mm-hmm. in Chicago. But they have not. They will not have played for 16 games when they play their next meaningful game. And remember back in 2011 when the Phillies won 102 games? They lost to St. Louis in the division playoffs. So keep that in mind. We've got about a, less than a minute. Who do you think takes the American League championship this year? I like Texas. I like Texas very, very much. Uh, this team, uh, the job that was done at the trading deadline by getting Carlos Beltran and getting uh, Jonathan LaCroix, that was a big move for the Rangers. They were just sort of treading water until that point. And, and you know we've talked about this before, Neil. They signed Ian Desmond just prior to the season, and he's been a great, great uh, addition to that ball club. Texas has the best record in the American League, and to me it's the best team in the American League. Cal, thanks very much for a few minutes. Appreciate your insight as always. Thanks for being on with us this season. Always my pleasure. Again, that is Hal Bodley of MLB.com, and we certainly thank him and all of our guests on this program, Ed Longoria, Casey Gillespie, Brent Honeywell, Nick Schufo, as well as Jake Fraley and Brian Anderson. And we also thank our producer, John Milo. Coming up, it's the Rays pregame show. Rays and the Boston Red Sox. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network.